Hey, I'm Elia Einhorn. Welcome to the TalkHouse podcast. Sitting with me today is... Mick Dawson, Editor-in-Chief of TalkHouse Film. Nick, thanks so much for joining me. Today on the podcast, we have Zoe Lister-Jones in conversation with Kumail Nanjiani, two filmmakers who have movies out this month. That's absolutely right. Zoe's movie Band-Aid is out already in uh, theaters and on VOD as well. And The Big Sick, Kumail's movie, is out June 23rd. So these guys met at Sundance this year where both of their movies had their world premiere. This was back in January. In January, exactly. And um, when I asked Zoe who she wanted to talk to, Kumail uh, was her choice. I have to say, it is not surprising to me at all that each enjoyed the other's movies so much. There are a few different thematic parallels Absolutely. I mean, Kamel's movie, The Big Sick, is directly about a major part of him and his wife Emily's uh, story, specifically uh, when she was in a coma for a, a period of time and, and seemed like she was going to die. And uh, Zoe's movie is is also kind of dramatic in a, in a different way. It's, it's about a couple whose relationship is on the rocks who turn their arguments into songs and start a band together. And I, I think, you know, she and her husband... Daryl Ween have been making movies together for a long time. Uh, this is the first one she's made essentially on her own. And so she she knows all too well about processing issues in your relationship through, through art. There's a lot of that in this conversation, Nick. Kamel speaks very openly about, well, and let me back up and say, this is a guy who's acting I adore. He is hilarious. He's been in so many great movies. Kamel actually went to acting classes to make this movie, to play himself in this. And in doing so, opened himself up to a vulnerability that he'd never had before in his acting. Yep. And he talks very, very sweetly about crying at every single movie that he's seen for the past year, including... Including... The most recent Fast and the Furious movie. Oh, God, I laughed when he said it. And then hearing him talk about it is also sort of an emotional experience in and of itself. For sure. The talk takes in a lot of other things, too. Including interruptions from a neighboring gardener. And a very fancy unannounced house guest. Let's call it a celebrity home invasion, shall we? They take in the experience of working with Judd Apatow and tell stories about his methodology that I had no idea about. Yeah, the, the way that Kamel talks about Judd's development process is, is really interesting. Judd, of course, is the producer of this movie and, and, and developed the project over a number of years with Kamel and Emily. I, I think also another really fascinating aspect of this conversation was Zoe talking about working with an all-female crew, something which radically changed the way that that the film was made and, and the experience of making the film for her as well. I love that they take in why comedies have terrible third acts. Yeah, it's funny. I never really thought about the, the specific issue that Kamel discusses, which kind of unlocks why that happens. But Kamel is definitely onto something. We just need to fix it. And, and then the, all comedies will be great. Nick, let's begin by exiting before this intro's third act. This is just the introduction. So we'll turn over the stage to Zoe and Kamel. Hi, I'm Kamel Nanjiani. <laughs> and I'm Zoe Lister-Jones. I just saw your movie. I really loved it, Band-Aid. Oh, thank you. I just you. saw it like day before yesterday. Thanks. I thought it was really great. Thanks. I really, really, um, I don't want to say surprised because <laughs> uh, I, I'm such a fan of yours. Oh, I was, but what was surprising to me was how many different things it hits because it, when it's funny, it's really funny. And then it's really moving and really emotional and really like, messy and difficult at times. And I've said this before, I feel like a lot of these sort of smaller movies that are dramedies are like in the middle. Yeah. Rather than hitting those peaks of comedy and drama. Yeah. And it's very rare to see those that 
that do that. And I thought yours really did. Oh, thanks. And so does yours. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Which I also loved. I saw at Sundance. Um, oh, you did at see the it Eccles Sundance, Theater. Yeah. I saw it on the last day because we were both at Sundance together, right. which is kind of how we met. Yes. Um, and uh, and I saw it on the, I think it was the last day of Sundance at, at the Eccles. And it was still just like so packed and people were just like howling. You couldn't hear oh, a word of the movie. So I'll have to see it again. <laughs> it's, it's weird. I feel like there are all the movies that played at Sundance while we were there. Yeah. I feel like this weird kinship with them totally. now. Like I wasn't able to see a lot of them because yeah. I was only there for a few days. But your movie was certainly a movie that I heard a lot about. <laughs> There's like, when you're there, it feels like there are four or five movies that people talk Are about. Buzzing. Yeah. yeah. And yours was definitely one of them and I really wanted to see it. And you know, I'm friends with Pally yes. and um and Fred Armisen and stuff. Yeah. So but it was and I saw I saw I was able to see some movies there. Yeah. And some of them were those kinds of movies that I'm talking about where you're like, oh I it just felt like they didn't really go for it. Yeah, which I think is, as like a viewer, I always respond to most is like comedy that can also be raw and messy and authentic and isn't afraid to go to really dark places, which is also what I so admired about your movie is that it is like that there doesn't have to be a formula that you follow. Right. There's the gardener that you I'm love. Serious. It's not my gardener. It's some. It's another person's gardener. But this is the sound person's nightmare. So, well, <laughs> oh, can you you're hear welcome, it? listeners. Um, oh. uh, we can just pretend it's the, my my indigestion. How big is the lawn? How long will this stick? <laughs> I feel like it. Here, I'll relate it to something about movies. Okay, great. The sound. What I hate is when you're doing a take <laughs> and it's going really well, and you're not evaluating it as it's happening. And then a plane goes by and they're yep. like, stop for yep. sound. And then you're like, and then you're like, oh my God, that was going that was really well. <laughs> We're never gonna be able to right. repeat as yeah. Well, I have this thing where you you've been an actor for a for a long time. Yeah. And 50, 60 years. Yeah, 50, 60 years. I just mean like you I assume you started off as an actor, right? Yes. Yeah. Before you this is your first movie you've directed. You've written movies before. Yeah, yeah. So the first movie I've directed, I, I've written uh three features yeah. before it. Yeah. I for me the newest part, obviously writing the movie is the newest part, but acting has been very new. So I for me it's still the thing of like, I don't know if I can get it again. I don't know how many takes I have. I get scared. Really? Yeah, I get scared. So when a plane goes by, I'm like, oh my God, what if that was it? What if I can't do it? Whereas you have a lot of emotional stuff in this movie. And I just feel like you're 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 um very skilled at accessing parts of yourself. Oh, thanks. I yeah, I mean, I for better or for worse, um, have a lot of access to dark, sad. <laughs> Heavy shit all the time. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I, I do. Uh, there was like a, a year right when I graduated college that I did a lot of law and orders. And um, really, yeah, it's there, a laws and order. Laws and order. Um, yeah, and and I that I called it crying for cash because there was a lot of time. Like I was constantly either a victim or the family member of a victim, or once I was the murderer. Um, but that was like, I think that was good boot camp for me being able to like really get there quick. Should we, should we 
Pause. <laughs> oh man, we were good. We we there was a good oh, quiet yeah, spot. I should have I should have coordinated with the neighborhood gardeners. There's no way to know. <laughs> well, you know that thing happened. We're on a text chain. Sh- shooting and they'll people close by will start playing music really loud to oh, get yeah. paid off or whatever. I know. My mom lives in Brooklyn, and um, they were shooting Boardwalk Empire outside her house for like two years, and the neighbors were so angry and you know they're like Brooklynites so they don't give a fuck and one of them had a bullhorn and he would just he would just start fucking with their takes all the time it's so mean from like the production standpoint like we're all like that's so fucked up but they were all kind of like go somewhere else (laughs) well I know for us uh they would move we we lived in Bushwick for a little bit and they would move our car and not tell us. What do you mean? Boardwalk Empire would have people's cars towed. And oh, they, they would, would tow it. They would. That's they, so fun. They would tow the car and move it somewhere else. So, and then this is so funny. When you would find the car, there would be a note on it that would say "car moved to," and then it would be the <gasps> address where we found the car. But it's on the car. Oh How are God. we gonna know? <laughs> So That's, I hated Boardwalk Empire yeah. too. Boardwalk Empire definitely made enemies in New York. Yeah, <laughs> they really did. Uh, should we should we get back into it? Yeah, okay, okay. For me, like for for um, preparing to uh, be in our movie, yeah. where it's I do have to be. There are moments where I have to be emotionally open and stuff. Yeah. I started taking acting classes, and I realized how hard it was for me to access those parts of myself. And since preparing for the movie, I've just been crying more at movies and stuff. Like oh, really? I just feel like you opened the floodgates. I think so. It's like been like years and years and years of just like all of this gets funneled into anger. Yep. Make this yep, anger, yep, make yep. this anger. And now I feel like like I don't think I've not cried at a movie in the last year. Really? Every movie. I'm like, oh God. Fast and the Furious. Seven. You're just like, I can't. I did. I did cry a Fast and the Furious 7. You know when I cried? Did you see it? No. <laughs> the last shot is Paul Walker, who Spoiler has passed alert. away. Well, yes, and that is that is actually tragic. Yes, yeah. it is. But the last shot is a clearly very CG face of oh, Paul God. Walker. And I was like, because it looks fake. And people were like, that's so weird that oh, they did that. God. But I was like... To me, the fakeness of it was just a reminder of they couldn't have the guy there because he's gone. And that then got me. So when you were growing up, did you were you easy to anger? Or like what was your like in your family and household were you like taught like that men were supposed to behave a certain way, especially because you didn't grow up in the States? I definitely was a very angry kid. You were. Like, but it wasn't the standard. Like, I was the ang- Like, I knew I had a problem with anger. And it would explode. And I would always be angry towards the people I loved the most. And it was, like, my mom and my dad. Like, my dad was not an angry guy at all. My dad actually now is pretty, He's he was always been, like, a pretty emotional guy. Like he'll be, I'll be talking to him and he'll be, he'll be talking about like, I saw the trailer and he'll be talking and I can hear him like try and fight to not cry. Well, I'm like getting, he, oh my God, I'm talking about, about it. About I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, yeah. And, and especially because it's a true story. So he knows sort of the ins and outs of, yes. of what it means to you personally. Yeah. But I think his reaction to this is more about just pride in yeah. the movie. And I don't know if it's specifically the story. I don't yeah. know. Um, Does he have, has he had in the past pride for your 
other projects in the same way, or this is just like a whole new level? It's a whole new thing. Yeah. It's more and more, I think, it's been the last year, really. They came and visited Set. That was the first time they'd ever like visited me or oh done anything. Because we had this sort of thing where we wouldn't talk about my work at all. But then they visited Set and I think they were a little like, oh my God, there's so many people, there's cameras. And yeah, yeah. the guy who's playing him is like a Bollywood legend. Oh my God, like, so he was freaking out. He was freaking out. He got a picture with them. <laughs> he called me a week later. He's like, I put it on Facebook. It's up to 92 oh my likes. God, that's yeah. amazing. So since then, they've been talking about it a bunch more. Yeah. And they'll like just take pictures of reviews and send them to me. Which is my living nightmare. Yeah. To like well, just have like people sending you reviews. How are your, what's your parents' relationship to your career? Um, well, my parents are both artists. So mm-hmm. they have always been super supportive and encouraging. Um, but the first movie that I made with my husband was called Breaking Upwards. And it was um, sort of similar to The Big Sick in, in, in that it was loosely based on our real life. Yeah. And we played versions of ourselves and we went by our own names. And um and so that I think as like that was the first time that my mom especially because she was like there was a character in the film that was my mom. So there's I'm sure you came up against this kind of stuff too where it's like the anxiety over her portrayal was yeah. a, a new thing. And I think since then she's more careful where she's like will say something outrageous to me and then she'll be like, and don't put that in a movie. Okay. <laughs> but I do. Yeah. Um, You're yeah. not a journalist. You don't have to like off it's the not record off the stuff. Record. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, they're super proud. My mom was, uh, she came to Sundance and we, we, the Women's March was her birthday. So that was really awesome. So we marched together, wow. which was great. Yeah. Oh yeah. I saw Adam Pally's dad was there too. Yeah, and he totally. really loved Band-Aid too. He oh really God. loved it. I know his family was so sweet and, uh, they all seemed really proud of him. How do you feel about, so you were raised by artists. It's I mean, I, I don't know how it was for you, but watching your movie, um, it's it's obviously not like strictly autobiographical, no. but I assume parts of you are in this movie mm-hmm. as parts of anything that's like good, I think a piece of the person is in it. Yeah, and it I feel like be. there are certainly parts of this movie that to me as some, I don't know you that well. Yeah. Watching your movie feels like, these are clearly very vulnerable parts of you are in this movie. How do you feel about putting yourself out there like that? Like, does it feel to you, do you feel, how, how does it feel to you? Um, yeah, I mean, this movie, I think in particular, because I wore so many hats, like singularly for the first time, like I wrote it and directed it and produced yeah. it and starred in it and wrote the song. So there's like, um, definitely, the level of vulnerability is uh, higher. Yes. <laughs> um, just because uh, it's all kind of resting on my shoulders. <laughs> if, right. When, it, when I share it, I think people's reactions to it, I take that much more personally. But you're saying but, you take the reactions to your movie based on the fact that you're responsible for all these things. I think, yeah. As a piece of art separate from yourself. Yeah, I think I'm able more to separate it from myself 
Now, I think probably because in that first movie that we made, it was so close and it was so intense and it was about an open relationship we were in. So it was really um, deeply personal subject matter um, that I think like doing the festival circuit on that movie, we were getting asked all these really personal questions, which I know that you are also dealing with. And I do think that people, when they know it's, I think I, I guess my answer to your question is in this film, it's kind of more um, vague. Like I, what parts of myself are, are autobiographical in this film and what aren't. I can, I can sort of protect myself in a way because it's not uh, something that I'm putting out there as a true story. You know what I mean? Whereas with you, I feel like it, people know it's a true story. So now they have permission yeah. to try and access personal information. <laughs> I mean, I should have changed my name. <laughs> I really, I mean, that's the weird thing, right? You, Because you do want to write stuff that's super personal yeah, to totally. you, that is a little like hard to write, hard to access, took us years to write it. And a lot of it was like, you know, this kind of kind of big crazy thing happened to us. And it was this black box of experience that we hadn't really rooted through or excavated yeah. through, you know. So then what you do is you you open that up and you're like, all right, this is hard to think about. Let's get in there. Let's see what's in here. And then you pull this stuff out that really is like parts of you that are like, you know, these these little things that are connected to your spine, like where you pull them out and it yeah. kind of hurts. Yeah. But it also is you dealing with it. But then you take these pieces of yourself that are just like these little, really, really tender nerve endings mm-hmm. and you put them into a thing and you put it out and then suddenly everyone has those. And then everyone can sort of like go to those little like scars that aren't fully healed and just, and they're not trying to poke them. no. But they're there and they're like, they're really accessing parts of your spine. And so, but like watching your movie, it really, really felt like in a great way, obviously it was like an expression of you. Mm -hmm. And so you're able to to do that. You're able to, um, because here's the thing, with Emily and I, there was a lot of, Emily resisted telling the story for a little bit longer than I did. Because you took on the task of writing it first and then she came on board, right? Yeah, and when she came on, it completely changed. Like, of it's course. crazy that I was trying to do it on my <laughs> own. It was it was crazy. And, and then talking with her about it made us see our experiences from through each other's eyes in a way that was really helpful to our relationship. Yeah. Um, but also really essential to making this a movie that was good that was worth making yeah so she resisted it for a little bit because she says you know there are pieces of our lives that are just ours and they're nobody else's and for me I don't really have that distinction at least when I'm doing it and then I when it comes out then I'm like oh my god what have I done (laughs) do you have that do you have like certain pieces of yourself that you're like this is just mine I don't want to give this to people and is it a conscious decision or is it that you feel like you're unable at this point in your life to, to turn that into something for consumption? I guess I do have a hard time um, putting up those barriers. Like, I, because I think that that art is so inherently personal. And for me, it's my only not my only, but but a large way that I process major questions 
in my own life. Um, so like with this film, you know, it's about the way that a couple fights and why a couple chooses to stay together, which is a question that I've been grappling with for a long time. You know, my parents divorced when I was nine. So that's like a big, deep <laughs> hole. Yeah. <laughs> um, not their divorce, but that sort of like that quandary is something that I've been, you know, living with for my whole life. And then being in, in relationships as a grown person, a lot of those same questions come up uh, and, and witnessing your friends' relationships and witnessing them fail or witnessing them succeed. So um, I feel like it's impossible for me to draw the line where my life ends and my art begins. But, um, but I think that I've just become more comfortable knowing that uh, – it's, it's blurry. Do you know what I mean? But I do think that when you talk about it, uh, and, and we have diff, a diff, you have a different responsibility with your movie, as I said, because people know it's true. Yeah. Whereas I think um, I feel that everyone, especially when you're the writer, wants so desperately for it to be true <laughs> that if, if I uh, avoid kind of personalizing it in an interview that I'm like letting people down, you know, yeah. because they're like, so how does this relate? Is this from your life? Is yeah. this, um, where you don't get those questions because people are just like, so this is your life. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more about it. Right. Um, but I have a harder time. And I don't know if you struggled with this since this was like your, would, would you say that's your first like leading role? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, kind of separating yourself in in the process of acting because I think that is the most when you have to access those parts of yourself as an actor and as a performer I, there's no distinction like I just have to like go there um which I I'm sure you probably had to do too especially because you're drawing upon real shit for you yeah I mean to me the most surprising thing was how much it actually how much doing some of these scenes felt like actually going through those events. Yeah. It wasn't like, well, there's another point, there's another weird <laughs> thing about it, but it, I was shocked at how it felt like, you know, seeing her in a coma, in a coma and the yeah. frustration of that. Um, Cause I did, I'd never taken any acting classes or anything until preparing for this movie. So it was a lot of, you know, I did a lot of monologues of people talking to people in comas. <laughs> that, was, that was my preparation. Really? Yeah. yeah. Fisher King. Right, right, Awakenings. Right. There's a few. There's a few movies. But what was surprising was in some of those scenes how it didn't really take a lot of work to get to the get yeah. there. Like it just felt like. And part of it was so much of it was unprocessed in a good way. Writing it was processing some of it. But so much of it was just sort of stuff that I that hadn't really hadn't. scabbed over. Yeah. That so so it was not easy, but it was cathartic. It was cathartic. And now the weird thing is the events, the the shooting of the events in the movie and the actual memory of the events are sort of becoming interlaced. So sometimes when oh, I God. think about those days, I think about being in the actual hospital, but then also the feeling of 
being on the hospital set. Like they're sort of Whoa. getting intertwined. It's really weird. That's mindfuckery. But that is like, I think that's what I'm saying is like that weird blurry line that is so hard to draw around your life and your art. I know. Especially when you're drawing from personal stuff. When did you, when did you write this movie? Um, I wrote it not that long ago, surprisingly. This was, this was a movie that like fast tracked its way to production well, that's somehow. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I wrote it, um, I guess. So we shot it last summer um, and I wrote it, I guess, a year before that. You'd finished writing it? I'd finished before. writing it a year before, about a year before we shot it. Um, and then it was that thing of, which I'm sure you you probably went through, or maybe you didn't, but um, of like t- sending it out to producers yeah. and seeing who's going to make this and if it is a real thing. And um, if, you know, just that whole process of, of like, oh, am I good enough? <laughs> and is anyone going to take this chance on me? And especially because it was my first time directing, there was a lot of questions around that. Um, but then my producer, Natalia Anderson, who worked on this TV show I'm on called Life in Pieces, um, I was working with her on the first season of that show and I was just like, this woman is a gangster and like she knows how to get shit done. Yeah. So I said to her, do you want to make a movie? Um and it was five months from the day I asked her to our first day of production. Whoa. So we really, uh, yeah, we flew through that, <laughs> that wow. process. Which for me, like, I'm such an impatient person. I don't know if you're the same. But yes. I am just like, okay, let's go. Like, if, if anyone's not working the same speed, I get really frustrated. So it was also about assembling a team who was willing to work at the same speed. And um and I hired an all-female crew, so it was about, yeah. about uh, assembling women who were working at the same scene. Which I have to say, um, for the most part, that actually was something that I think like went hand-in-hand hand with, with the um, gender <laughs> uh, association. But, um, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was really fun, actually, because I think it also lent some urgency to the project, um, which I think always kind of shows up in, in the art itself. I think so. I think so. Um, I feel like, you know, you want to start shooting something when you still feel like it's part of you. I see people that... You had a long process, right, of writing? The writing, it was quite long. Um, For me and Emily, we basically kind of wrote it for three years. That's crazy. It is. It is. But we would hit, I would hit walls in writing where I would be like... Um, I'd be writing a scene and I'm like, why can't I write this scene? Why can't I write this scene? And it's like, oh, because it's very difficult <laughs> and you have to like access this thing that you don't want to. Yeah. So sometimes you'd kind of have to, I would have to like bust through and the busting through was just took a little bit. Like you yeah. had a little bit like, this sounds so cheesy, but you had to like grow a little bit totally. to be able to write it. Um, and there's something kind of nice about having the time to like, leave something and then return to it with different eyes. Right. And also the hard thing for us was we really want, oh, does someone knock? Who's that? Oh my God, Pally, what are you doing here? Hey. Do you just, oh my God. Do you just walk into houses? <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> so Adam Pally just came in. He, who's, just, he just opened my who's front in door. Your movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, but 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 you said that you guys are shooting a music video. We're shooting a music video on Thursday for it's, the movie. It's so difficult because not only I was thinking this while watching your movie, which yeah. is, which again I loved and it's so personal and it's so beautifully <laughs> done. On top of writing, directing, starring, 
getting all the scenes in one day, all that stuff. On top of that, you have to write a bunch of songs <laughs> yeah. that have to like work within the story, but they also have to work as songs on their own. And yeah. that's a big part of the movie. Yeah. So you really wrote yourself, on top of everything, <laughs> a pretty big challenge. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I love writing songs. So actually, that was like the first thing that I did in the screenwriting process because I was looking, I was like trying to figure out, and you probably uh, have faced similar challenges as a writer, but like I had sort of lost the joy in the writing process. And so this whole uh, project, but especially um, in terms of the screenwriting of it, for me was like, how do I find that joy again and how do I have fun in process rather than just like try and wait for the product to like be done yeah. <laughs> and, and um so right. that was for me like I was like I know if I write songs I'll have fun so I started by writing the songs so it wasn't actually that was never like a chore or an added like challenge it was actually like the entry point and then um and then the songs were so much fun to write too because they were cathartic for me because they are all um songs based in like marital uh, squabbles. <laughs> what do you mean you lost joy in writing? I think that once, like once I had made the, we had made the first film, that creative process felt quite pure. And yes. And, and then making a sophomore feature, um, even, you know, just as a, a writer and producer and star, but still they, they very much feel like kind of my children, especially cause I was making them with my husband that then there's a lot more interference in terms of, um, like the intersection between art and commerce. For me, I I felt that my process was being too interrupted by a lot of those thoughts. Like they were immediately influencing the artistic choices I was making. So I was like, how do I quiet all of those voices and all of those concerns and all of those anxieties and just like write something that is fun? Right. You know, like the first film that we made opened a lot of doors in the industry. So then we were doing this sort of like water bottle tour, um, right. which is like, and everyone's like, oh, what's next? What are you going to do? And so we were like taking on all these projects and ideas and, and, and I didn't even know what high concept and low concept was. I didn't know what a set piece was. Like these were all yeah. sort of like industry terms that you start mm -hmm. to then be like, oh, okay, so we need a high concept. Oh, and we need a lot of set pieces. Oh, and we need, and all of the sort of like, rules that then start influencing your idea of what works in a commercial comedy, you know, um, which is probably interesting for you because you working with Judd Apatow, like must have had a lot of those voices, but he, was he like sort of respectful of your space as an artist without interfering in that process? Yeah. I mean, working with Judd is interesting because he has, this is the first like indie movie he's done and it's by far by, by a factor of, you know, five or lots six. Of by, by a factor of <laughs> lots of money, by yeah. far the smallest movie he's done. And the way he works with Judd is, you know, it's a little bit sink or swim. I think he develops with a lot of people. And I think it's like you 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 write stuff with him. And I don't feel I don't think he feels any obligation to make anything unless he really feels like it deserves to yeah. be made. Like he really wants to make it. So for him he's he'll give you notes and you sort of follow them or not he doesn't like force you to take notes or anything but it is ultimately he it's his decision whether 
this gets made or not. And I and I know stories. I think of a lot of people who've worked with him for years, and then sort of nothing's happened. Whoa, really? Yeah, which is tough. That must be heartbreaking. So was that a little bit in your mind the whole time? Like, is this ever going to actually hit the screen? Well, here's the weird thing is, and I think it's sort of maybe just how I, with Emily, she always assumed it was not going to happen, and I always assumed it was going to happen. Yeah. And I think it's because I don't really, um, I just don't think of, I don't like consider failure that much. And And I think that that's, Good in some ways for me and bad in other ways. Like I don't, I'm not really like a big plan ahead kind of guy, <laughs> which is not great. But you also generally manifest success. <laughs> um, but the good thing is then I don't think about failure. So that doesn't like prevent, that doesn't like uh, paralyze yeah. me as much. Yeah. But it is also like, you know, like if we're going on a trip or something, I'll be like, all right, let's go. But I don't think about like, all the stuff that I should pack and do and right, all that. Right, I'm right. kind of like pretty, I don't think that far ahead. Good You're a last minute packer. I'm a total last minute and packer. When when does Emily start packing? She's, she's Days back. before? Days before. She's, yeah, I, I have a similar dynamic with my husband and I. I wonder if it if that is like a man-woman It thing. might be. Yeah. It, it totally might be. And I do think also that the, the um, fearlessness is something that I think men are taught to embrace a lot more than women. Yes. Although, you know, Emily will say this stuff to me. She'll be like, how can you, she was so confident. She she says that. And I, I don't, I don't think I am. I, th- I remember making a decision to pretend to be confident. <laughs> At what age? Pretty late when I got to New York. I got to New York um, and I would do like stand up with all these people who were like, Big names, yeah. famous people, and they seem so confident. And I was like, I remember specifically going, I'm going to now pretend to be confident. Because I think I think the body doesn't know the difference. I think if you stand no. confidently, then you feel confident, then totally. you are confident. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we, we wrote it for three years. And the challenge for us was... When you're sort of writing a movie about a year of your life, there's so much that happens. Yeah. You could make, there are like many different movies that can be made. Which one are you going to make? So that was a challenge was because there's a story that uh, there are various points in the writing process. The frustration with the doctors was a big part of it or the bureaucracy of the hospital yeah. or all of that. That was a big part of the script for a long time. And then the other characters who are waiting for you was a big part of the script at one time. And that was actually stuff we shot that ended up getting cut, which really sucks because those actors were great. Yeah. Those are tough calls to make. Those are tough calls to make. But then it's tough to make because you know somebody's going to be disappointed. Yeah. But it's also like... And we've probably both been that person on the other end of that call. 100%. Yeah. Sometimes you like shoot something and then you get a call from the director two, like three months <laughs> later and you see it and you're like, I know what this is. <laughs> I know exactly what's going to be said. calling to tell me they loved my performance. No, this person has not talked to me since yeah. we wrapped. They're yeah, lovely. Yeah. But I'm getting a phone call. Yeah. I know exactly what this is. And, um, you know, before doing the movie, I was like, all right, let's, if we're going to shoot, it's going to be a lot of work, a lot of pages. Let's get down and get the work done. Yeah. But I was very pleasantly surprised at how fun it was. Yeah. I had a great time. I loved it. And it's so rare. Like, I've obviously been on movies where it's distinctly not fun. Of course. <laughs> you We've know, like, all had those and, jobs. And it is that, it goes back to that sort of, like, magic. Like, Whatever it is that makes 
a group of people work well together or two actors have chemistry or anything. And that like comes up a lot. Uh, you probably get that too. Uh, when I'm being interviewed around this movie, it's like, you and Adam have such great chemistry. Can you talk about it? It's like, not really. No. I, I don't, there's nothing to say. I don't know. We, I yeah. don't know. We didn't even really know each other. Um, but somehow some magic in the like ephemera allows two people <laughs> to I know. have chemistry. It's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible to categorize. And you don't really want to. Sometimes people just make sense together and sometimes they just don't. Yeah. There's really nothing And it's the it. same with the crew. You know, it's yeah. like, and and so much of the success or failure of a film relies on this sort of like intangible chemistry of everyone involved. Yeah, we really had that on, at some point, it was interesting to see while we were shooting this movie and it's a, we're shooting in New York. You see certain people at some point start taking pride in the movie and it happens at different points for different people. <laughs> yeah. And you, but you really, I really felt that like, um, so uh, a lot of people took a lot of pride, like Brandon Tonner Connolly was the guy who did our set design and he was fantastic mm-hmm. and nailed it. Because he has to do a lot of different kinds of environments because yeah. most of the movies inside. So there's people's apartments and they're very different and they have different, uh, they feel different. And, and they all feel authentic, which yeah. is so important. He did a great, yeah. great job. Like in my apartment in the movie, there was just like folding chairs at the totally, corner totally. and like an unused ping pong table. And I was like, that's perfect. That's exactly <laughs> right. But, you know, Emily's apartment is different and the yeah. hospital is different and, and our wardrobe is different and Sarah made it the wardrobe for it. So you could feel like these people right from the beginning really took pride in making something, um, really took pride in their part of this movie. And while we were shooting, you could see like, oh, this, you would see the camera person talking to the director or the DP and you'd be like, oh, this person really cares. They really, <laughs> they really <laughs> like working on this and they want to... And there was one person, I won't say who, on the crew who was like, you could tell was sort of a holdover. Mm-hmm. They just were like, for them, it was just a job for yeah. a little while longer. But then I remember when they were like, when they sort of locked it and started being like, oh, I like this movie. I like working on this. I'm, I'm part of this. And that's the sort of thing you can't control. You can't really control people having pride in what they do and being like excited about no, it. No, but it sets me into a fucking panic when they don't. Yeah. I mean, like I that whoever that holdover is and there's always one on a crew, you're always like, I don't know if you do this, but I'm always like, what can I do to make you love me? And <laughs> is there something I can do? Um, but that is, I, I, on the first day of production, gave like sort of a state of the union where I kind of like addressed that because I was so focused on process and I was like, I want everyone here to just like know that like this even though, you know, it's an indie film and we're all here to do a job, like, let's also just all be here to, like, make something cool together, you yeah. know? Because I think it can feel grueling or burdensome or just, like, another gig, you know? Uh, and and so much of the joy that comes from making a movie is sensing uh, each crew member's ownership over what they're contributing. Because I think if they don't have ownership over it, then it does just feel like a grueling day, you know? Um, whereas when they're like, oh, I'm so proud of the work I'm doing, like you're saying, it it it, beco- it completely shifts the energy. And what I said on that first day was that like energy is super contagious. And when one person is a bummed out and wants to talk shit about another person, then you're kind of going to 
uh, toxify the whole set. And like, let's just all be really careful not to do that. Yeah, and yeah. and you want to be able to you, you want to be able to have people express their individual artistry in a way that contributes to the artistry of the whole, of the whole yeah enterprise. Um, I didn't want to ask about this too much because I'm sure it's you've been asked about it a lot. But you had an all female crew. Did yeah. that? Did that feel different? I'm sure it felt different. It felt super different. Yeah. Um, and I totally enjoyed talking about it because it was uh, such a a meaningful experience. I think for me and for the whole crew at large, like, um, you know, I had just been uh, very aware of, of the sort of underrepresentation of women on film crews. So for me, there was a part of it that was about um, creating opportunities for women in departments where they're not often given them, but more than anything, it was really like, I just wanted to see what it would feel like. And, yeah. and it was sort of just this social experiment to, to be like, I do think that, that uh, to go back to magic, that something magical happens when women are alone together. Um, and so I wanted to see what, what that magic would create in the art making process. And yeah. it was truly uh, magical. And, and, what was great was was Pally was like the biggest experiment of all because he was the only man on set for many, many days. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how's he going to react? Like, I, what, yeah. what's this going to be like for him? And it was so gratifying when he was like so into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and not only because like, you know, women are generally nurturing and, and like, you know, if there's one man on set, like there's going to be a lot of attention paid to <laughs> um, just in terms of like, what can I get you or how can I help you? Or, uh, but I think also because, um, because he had never experienced it before. So there was this, this sense of it being a first that I think infused the whole set with a sort of excitement that, that fueled the work. That was really cool. Yeah, and I think you're right that that magic thing that you're talking about, I think when you see, you could just feel, I don't know what it is, I can't articulate, but when you see something where you're like, oh, it feels like everybody kind of cared about this (laughs) thing, you know, that can happen. Um, Another thing I really liked, uh, can't talk about it too much, but I I really like the ending of your movie, and I thought a lot about the ending of, our movie yeah. right from the beginning because my favorite endings are the ones that don't feel like They're endings. like question marks. Yeah, and when yeah. it ends, it's like, wait, what? Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. My <laughs> favorite endings are those, and I literally like watched my favorite movies over and over again, and I was like, which are the endings that stick with me? And it's always, it's always the same kind of endings, those question mark endings yeah. where it feels like one of my favorite endings is... Um, Maybe I've talked about this. Kramer versus Kramer at the yeah. end. Oh my God. When they're like um, uh, Meryl Streep and Dustin Hoffman have had kind of a vicious custody battle and she comes in and it feels like there's some sort of peace between them and she's going up and he go, she goes, going up to talk to the kids and she's like, how do I look? And he goes, you look terrific. And that's the end of the movie. It's like, oh, now they're going to learn to have another relationship Sibyl, with each other. yeah. Yeah, this is the beginning. It's not an ending. And uh, you want people to think about the movie when they're gone and you want them to think about it, hopefully for a long time afterwards. So if you're telling them exactly what happens at the end, you don't have that. But you also can't leave them with so much unrest that they feel 
cheated. unfulfilled or cheated. Yeah. So it, it's, I, I struggled with that too. Yeah, but your ending really does sort of like, oh, what's, I, I don't want to give too much away, <laughs> but but you really can't give too much away in a movie no. like yours. Um, or like yours. You I, really, yeah. yeah, you wanted to end where it's like, oh, so there's like a bunch of different ways that the audience can like, imagine with us we cheat a little bit because then we show real life pictures at the end yeah take away any question marks but But no but i think that that i mean what i loved about your movie is how unpredictable it is and i think that that is like such an asset of it not falling into one category like that you that it is this sort of hybrid that that hasn't never been made before um and i think like with like your third act, I just didn't know. I had no idea yeah. where it was going to go. And every scene, I think that's so important, especially with relationship comedies or dramedies, because so often they do follow a formula. It's how to keep the audience like on their toes for that third act. Yeah, it totally is. It's such a challenge for comedies. Most comedies have terrible third acts yeah. because it's like, oh, the premise is done. This is why right. this movie got made because these things are funny. Yep. And then the serious thing happens and now we have to end the movie. And so it's hard to uh, for comedies to still be funny in the third act. Yeah. And, and you sort of got at something that I was thinking about. It's like when people watched it at Sundance, I think that was the best way that at least I wanted people to see the movie, which is like, they, they had no idea what it was about. They go yeah. in, they watch the movie. And now the story of me and Emily is such a part of the promotion of the yes. movie and all that, that people aren't going in. This is why I loved watching movies at Sundance. It's like, you go, now Zero expectation. It, you have no idea what's yeah. going to happen. I go into movies for the most part knowing what, how I'm going to feel about it. You've read the reviews. You've heard your friends talk about it. But at Sundance, you start a movie. You have no idea. You have to make up your own mind as you go. And that's what I liked about uh, showing our movie. That was that a lot of people were like, oh, it was more emotional than I thought it was going to be. Or some of the reviews said they had no idea where it was going, which is yeah. really exciting. Yeah, I know. And that is so tough with um, kind of like reviewers and word of mouth is that oftentimes your opinion is... Uh, is sort of like made for you before you even enter the right. movie. I try and avoid those things as much as possible in seeing movies because I feel like that's like the nicest thing to do for the filmmaker. <laughs> I think so. But then also, you know, like I like going to see like big blockbusters in the theaters yeah. and I will like look up generally like, is this going to be worth you my look a ro- You look up Rotten Tomatoes score? I will for like the huge movies. Yeah. If there's a smaller movie that seems interesting to me, I'll just go see it. Yeah. But if there's a big movie... Like, because I do feel like an obligation to support smaller movies. I'll be like, oh, somebody really put themselves into this movie. Like your movie. Like they expressed this because they wanted to express it because they needed to express it. So I will support this. Even if it's, if eventually it's something that I find wasn't for me or I didn't have a fulfilling experience watching it, I will still support it because I still want people to take those swings. If it's a big movie, I like seeing those in the theaters. But... You want to know what you're getting into. Sometimes it can be such a cynical enterprise (laughs) that it's like, but then you see something really big that you feel like, oh, they put themselves into this movie. How great. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I think that's what uh, it's to, I feel like we we, we should wrap up is that thing uh, we were talking about earlier of how you sort of express yourself in the movie and put yourself into it. I think that's really what makes... 
movies worth watching when it feels like totally only this person could have made this thing. And that's how I felt watching your movie. That's how I felt watching your movie. Thank you. Well, I have a hundred more questions, but I think <laughs> we'll do we a, to, a part two. Yeah, we'll Maybe do a we'll part two. we'll get Pally involved. He's about to walk in again, I'm yeah. sure. Well, this was so fun. Yeah, this is so Thank fun. Thank you for doing this. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. Oh, bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, why doesn't Adam Pally walk in when we're recording our intros? Uh, life would be so much more interesting if he did. Listeners, if you enjoyed today's talk with Kamel and Zoe, check out past conversations that he's recorded with us. Kamel Nanjiani in conversation with Michael Showalter and also with Daniels, uh, the directors of Swiss Army Man. The Farting Corpse movie. The Farting Corpse movie. <laughs> As it was known. Check us out on iTunes and Stitcher for past episodes and while you're there, rate and review. Every time you review, you help someone else discover the podcast. And an angel gets their wings. Later this week on the TalkHouse podcast, Patterson Hood of Drive-By Truckers in conversation with Talib Kweli. And coming up next week, Leah Thompson and Jim Hempel. And also Teenage Fan Club's Norman Blake in conversation with Riley Walker. It's a pretty formidable lineup. We tried. The we, in this instance, Susan Vauer recorded this podcast. Mark Yoshizumi mixed it. You produced it? I try. <laughs> and the TalkHouse podcast theme music is by Iced Inc., a band whose name I'm always afraid to say. Until next time. I'm not Nick Dawson. And I'm definitely not Elliot Einhorn. <laughs>